It's podcasting time. I am Jonathan Isaacson. And I know, I know, it's been forever and a day since I put out a new podcast. You know, life got busy. I just didn't have enough time to make something that I felt at least reached the level that I would deem acceptable to put out in the world. You know, and it's not like there's been a huge demand. People haven't been clamoring for more or anything. But yeah, I just kind of let the podcast kind of fall to the wayside for a bit. Just other stuff to take care of and all that. But I do have a lot of stories that I think are interesting on some level. And I do want to share them with you. I've been thinking about it for a while. And I'm also thinking I'm going to change the name of the podcast. Make it simpler. uh, Make it more clear what the podcast is mostly about. And so I have decided to change the name Dispatches from Japan. Just promote the subtitle to the main title. Make it simple. Um, For now, all the contact information, the Twitter, the email, everything is going to be the same. Um, All the podcast feeds, of course, will be the same. So if you're subscribed, if anyone is still subscribed, I know it happens. Um, But yeah, if you're still subscribed... Nothing will change for you. Just keep your subscription, keep on your podcast feed, and it will should show up when new things come up. And I hope that will be a little bit more often. Maybe not weekly, but maybe every other week. I don't know. But I do want to keep doing this. And I'm sure that every once in a while I will still have something to say that's not Jap- like related to something here in Japan. But because I do live in Japan... It may not be a pot dispatch about Japan, but it will still be a dispatch from Japan. So the title still works on some level. And so, yeah, on with the show. Today, I have a fairly short story for you from history. And so let's jump on in. On September 6th, 1976... A little bit after 1 p.m., the Japanese Air Self-Defense Force radars were picking up an unexpected, unknown airplane flying over Hokkaido. Within 10 minutes, two SDF, that's the Self-Defense Force, of course, uh, so two SDF F-4 Phantom fighter jets took off from Chitose Air Air Base, um, which is located where Shin Chitose Airport is today. Uh, actually, the SDF airbase is still there. Um, but yeah, uh, Shinchitose Airport, uh, Sapporo's main airport. Um, in 1976, right, the civilian airport, Shinchitose, had yet to be built. So it was only the SDF airbase there. So anyway, this unexpected, unknown airplane showed up on radar, and two SDF fighter jets from Chitose were scrambled to find this, mili- this this mystery airplane and escort it back to the Chitose airbase. However, the weather was very cloudy, and this being 1976, and Japan not being a major military force at the time, the radar, both on the ground radar and in the F-4s, they were unable to track the mystery plane very precisely. They couldn't actually locate it and, and like visually and bring it back to Chitose. And a few dozen minutes, half an hour or so later, 
the plane showed up again, this time in Hakodate, which is the city at the southernmost tip of Hokkaido. And Hakodate being a fair-sized city, um, not huge, but, you know, fair-sized, it had, and still to this day, has an airport. A civilian one, mind you. Um, the mis- this mystery airplane that was showing up, it circled Hakodate Airport three times before making a very rushed landing, almost running into a taking off uh, 727 in the process. And the mystery plane was far too big and fast to land at Hakodate Airport properly and safely. The airplane overran the runway by 240 meters, like 700, 800 feet. And it stopped just before hitting one of the antenna at the airport. Despite deploying its parachute and, you know, bursting a a tire on the front landing gear, still overran the runway by, you know, two football pitches. Locals, of course, you know, people at the airport, people in the area, soon began to gather around the mystery airplane. You know, they're curious, what the heck is going on? Here's this strange jet, because it was a fighter jet of some sort. There was this strange jet sitting on the off the edge of the Hagodate Airport runway at this point. And they were ready, starting to take photos and everything. And the pilot gets out of the plane, opens the cockpit, and he fired his service pistol into the air. So, who was this mystery pilot and what was his mystery plane? The answers, Victor Belenko and a MiG-25, respectively. And that's it for today. Of course not. Just kidding. That's not that's not it for today. Um, Victor Belenko. He was a lieutenant in the Soviet Air Defense Force. And in 1976, he was stationed in Vladivostok, which, of course, you know your Russian geography at all. It's the far, far east of the USSR at that time. Russia now, of course. Um, it, it, it was Russia at the time, too, but it was within the USSR. What, whatever, you know. Vladivostok, far east of Russia slash USSR. And the plane that he was flying, that Belenko was flying, was a MiG-25, which at the time was a brand new supersonic interceptor reconnaissance jet. Um, It was big as well. Now, I won't go into all the details because I don't know all that much about this sort of thing. Um, others have done a good job through, you know, very thorough explanations. You can go look on the on the interwebs, find it. You can look on the tube of the U's. Um, suffice to say, the U.S., other Western countries, and weirdly, in in this particular context, Japan is a Western country. Um, this might be in the Far East, but whatever. You know, geopolitically at the time, Japan very much in the Western block of countries. Anyway, so U.S., other Western powers, they knew of the existence of the MiG-25s. They didn't know any details, though. It was still pretty secretive airplane at this point. And it was thought that this MiG-25, from what I understand by this kind of like fighter jet, huge size, like a gigantic airplane for the type of airplane it was. Um, 
and it was worried that the MiG-25 was some sort of a super fighter that would threaten the SR-71 Blackbird, which is a you know pretty iconic airplane. If you know anything about like Cold War airplanes and stuff, the SR-71, it's the U.S. in the 19, late 60s, early 70s. It's this new, super high-tech, high-altitude, high-speed reconnaissance jet. Pretty cool-looking airplane if you've never seen a picture. You probably have seen a picture of the SR-71 Blackbird. Cool-looking plane. And it was worried that the MiG-25 would be a threat to it. You know, there were fears about the capabilities of this, of this, you know, as yet mysterious MiG-25. And because of these fears that this MiG-25 would be able to go up and shoot down the SR-71, that's a big part of why the U.S., um, the F-15 Eagle, which is one of the most iconic, famous fighter jets of the late 20th century, right? The F-15 Eagle, a big like push for its development was something to, you know, counter counteract the MiG-25s. So here in September of 1976, off the end of the runway at Hakodate Airport was a brand new MiG-25 with its Russian pilot, with literally only about 30 seconds of fuel left in the tank. He had to put that airplane down fast. Um, the pilot had a map with him of Hokkaido, but the only air, air landing strip, the only airfield it had marked was Chitose Air Base, right? And that was the only thing that was marked as far as places to land. So clearly he had planned um, to head towards central Hokkaido near Chitose Air Base. He expected to be intercepted by Japanese, you know, the, the, the jets that they scrambled and escorted back to um, Chitose. But, you know, the, the SDF, they were unable to find him and he was unable to find Chitose with all the heavy cloud cover. And so he had to search for any landing site that he could ASAP. The pilot, uh, Belenko, uh, Victor Belenko, as I said, he was arrested by Japanese police. Not military police, police. Just standard, run-of-the-mill police. Um, so here's kind of this little weird, odd side note to this story. So initially... Hakodate Airport, the, the air controllers, they called the SDF. They said, hey, we have a military airplane on our off on our runway. And SDF apparently said, call, just, just call the police. They, they'll take care of it. So, okay. Um, you know, SDF, they knew they were, they were looking for a mystery airplane. Um, and so, yeah, anyway... SDF didn't initially come out. They, they do later, but um, initially, so yeah, Hakodate Airport officials, they called in the, 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 the police. The police, they came out to the to the area. They came out to the airport. They secured the area. They arrest Belenko for violating Japanese airspace. Okay, that makes sense. And also for violating firearms laws, which, I mean, sure, I get it. Um, he did fire a pistol into the air in Japan which has really super strict gun laws. But that kind of seemed like a weird thing to arrest him for because he just, you know, landed 
a Soviet fighter jet unauthorized in a civilian airport in Hokkaido. Kind of, okay, well, whatever. Anyway, but yeah, that, those were the, one of his charges was uh, violating firearms laws. Yeah, anyway. So during his interviews with law enforcement, with the police, um, Belenko requested political asylum in the U.S., which was granted two days later. Of course, the USSR tried to convince him to come home, to return back to, the, to Russia, to USSR, but he refused. And, I mean, I think it was an offer he kind of had to refuse, um, honestly. I, I mean, what do you think would have happened had he gone back? You know, he stole a military plane and flew it to a a a, a uh, enemy country a, a not 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 enemy but a, a country that you don't have on you're not on friendly relations with um because japan of course being under the u.s umbrella yeah it was not hot they were hostile country that's the word i'm looking for yeah he flew a, a military jet a secret military jet to a hostile country that is that wouldn't have gone well for him if he had gone back to to the USSR. I'm guessing. I don't know. Maybe it would have. Just my personal thought. I think he had to refuse that 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 uh, offer to return home. But anyway, um, yeah, Belenko. He would go on in the U.S. to become a military consultant. Probably, you know, supply information about what he knew about the Soviet uh, military and stuff like that. Uh, he became a public speaker. Uh, businessman, stuff like that, you know, seems to live, have lived a pretty regular life um, in North Dakota, of all places. So um, good for him, I guess. Um, got married and had kids, I think. Um, so, yeah, it seems like he went on to live a pretty normal life uh, in the U.S. Of course, the USSR was pissed. Um, Japan was worried, not surprisingly, that there would be reprisals. And there were some incidents of uh, fishermen being detained by Russian, uh, by Soviet patrol, like uh, Coast Guard and Naval Patrol and things like that, possibly in retaliation, but it wasn't exactly clear. Um, But yeah, so while the plane was in Hakodate, um, the SDF deployed ground troops to the airport, so they did get around to it eventually. Um, They put boats in the waters around Hakodate and they flew 24 hours a day. Uh, they flew uh, patrols over Hakodate for several days, 24 hours a day, um, on the lookout for un, like uh, unrecognized, unknown airplanes, presumably coming from the Soviet Union. Nothing did come as far as like military reprisal, but like I say, there were some fishermen who got detained and things like that. But I don't think anything big ever came of it. As for the plane itself. Um, a team of experts from the U.S. and Japan stripped the plane. Oh, sorry. First, they shipped the plane um, down to Ibaraki, to an airbase in Ibaraki, which is not too far from uh, Tokyo, if you know. where it's, it's kind of the northern part of the Kanto region, so uh, Ibaraki. And they took it apart to see what, you know, what this plane really could do. What were its capabilities? And one kind of, like, a very cute kind of... Uh, Jap- very Japanese kind of little side note to this story about transporting the plane. So they transported on this huge, you know, transport plane that you can carry gigantic like, tanks and you can, you know, if you probably, probably take the wings off, but take wings off, you can translate fighter jets and things like that 
in the in the belly of these huge transport planes. So they were going to transport it down to Ibaraki on this giant plane. And when they were doing that, when they were getting it ready, there was a banner on the side of the plane. I It was a little unclear which plane. Was it the transport plane? Was it the MiG? Whichever one it was. And on the banner it said, um, Hakodate no minasan, sayonara, which translates to uh, goodbye people of Hakodate sorry for the trouble so they actually apologize like they, the the uh, I don't know who put this banner on was it the SDF was it the US military whoever it was they put a big banner on saying sorry for sorry for causing you problems which again very very Japanese um, anyway in Ibaraki, the experts took the MiG apart and found out that while the plane, while this MiG-25 looked super impressive from the outside, under the hood, you know, so to speak, not so much. Um, sure, yeah, it could fly really, really fast in very short bursts. It couldn't sustain very high speed um, flying for long times. But... It was made out of stainless steel. Now, stainless steel weighs a lot. And that made the MiG-25 a massively heavy plane. Um, And that is why it had these huge wings and pretty limited maneuverability in any sort of, you know, non-straight line fashion. Like, going straight ahead, yes, it could fly very fast. Really fast in short bursts, but still even regular, you know, long distance, it could fly pretty fast, you know, for a fighter jet. But it couldn't turn quickly. It was not a very maneuverable plane. And it was far from the the super fighter that the West was worried about. Um, But again, if you want more details, go look up on the tubes of the internet um, for all the, you know, the fine details about the MiG-25 and what was learned about it. Eventually, um, the plane was returned to the USSR and the USSR claimed that there were a bunch of parts missing and sent a bill to Japan. I don't think anyone ever paid it. Um, but I also did see somewhere that Hakodate, the, the, the city of Hakodate or whoever, you know, um, r- runs the airport in Hakodate, they did send a bill to the USSR for, uh, repairs at the airport, which, Again, I, I I didn't confirm this, but if that is true, that's pretty funny, um, and it's just hilariously petty. Uh, but yeah, that that's um, yeah, that's the story of the Soviet not so super super fighter that landed in Hakodate in 1946, and that is where we will leave it for today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review the podcast wherever it is that you cast your pods. Um, I hope this will be back to doing more regular. Uh, podcasting but if not i'm sorry but we'll we'll do i'll do my best um uh yeah you can find the podcast pretty much all major platforms you know apple google spotify stitcher pandora amazon podcasts i think um there are probably other ones but like i say um the the name of the podcast has changed but that is all your feeds, your subscriptions, whatever, those should still update as normal. Um, and of course, like I say, the Twitter, that's the same. You can still follow there over on Twitter, um, at just another cast. 
And the email is still justanotherjerkpodcast at gmail.com. Please, please, please go ahead and send me an email there if you have something you want to say. Um, and yeah, you can find information on the website, which hopefully I'll get back to developing that as well, which is tinyurl.com slash jerkpod. All this may change in the future, but for now, everything is still the same. And that is all for me. I'm Jonathan Isaacson, and I'm out. Peace.